You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. This morning, as we we tailed off and we we ended this morning, we ended on the fact of, of the kinsman redeemer. What a great truth that is. And as, as we think of the Old Testament and this idea of the kinsman redeemer, we're so thankful this evening that we have a redeemer. His name is Jesus Christ. And, and as believers, we, we can't lose sight of the fact that we have been redeemed, we've been bought, we've been purchased with a price. And for us, we, we, we must allow that to, to penetrate our hearts and our lives so that it changes us. Too many believers today are wrapped up in the things of this world. And, and we're sidetracked and we're distracted. This world is fading away. It is passing. And the only thing in this world that is static, that is secure, is our salvation in Jesus Christ. And what a glory in that. We ought to embrace that. We ought to, we ought to understand that. Never grow weary of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of hearing it, <clears throat> of proclaiming it, of singing it. Uh, it is our truth. It, it changes everything. And we said this morning that Paul was so enraptured by this idea that the love of Christ constrained him. It drove him. It, it motivated him. And we look around, and even ourselves sometimes, we're just not motivated for Christ. We're distracted. And let me encourage you as we, as we, go, as we finish now the book of Ruth, um, that we would think about a Redeemer. You know, we sing the songs, and, and there are some songs we sing, the, the truth is, there's some songs in our hymn book that are foolish. They, they ought not be sung. Um, they make no sense at all. Uh, they're doctrinally incorrect. And there are other songs that are very powerful. Um, and we sang this morning, I think of my Redeemer, I think of my blessed Redeemer, I think of him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. That ought to be our theme. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. And so let me encourage you tonight. Um, take some time this week and think about redemption. Think about your redemption. Think about where you were before Christ saved you. And think about where you might be had he not saved you. Okay? And it should move us. We should be moved by that. And not just this emotional, I cry in church or I lift up holy hands and I'm really, we had a great time of worship. But move to where it changes our life. And I've got to tell you something. The gospel is where the rubber meets the road. It changes my life as a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, uh, as a spouse, um, as a neighbor, as a worker. I mean, there should be some transformation happening in our life because our Redeemer lives and he is, He's redeemed us. He's bought us back. And this redemption is, and I think you understand this, right? Our salvation is, is past, present, and future, right? We were saved but we are in the process of being saved. God is working in our hearts and our lives. It's, it's this process of sanctification that, that daily I am becoming, I should be becoming more and more like Christ. And this is not just for the old folks in church. It's for our young people. It's for our middle age. It's for singles. We should be becoming more like Christ. We are being saved. We are being saved from a life of selfish, self-centeredness. We're being saved from our own desires and lust. We're being saved from ourselves. And ultimately, this redemption will, will conclude when we are, we are saved eternally. And we shall be like him, for we shall see him face to face. And so don't grow weary of, of the idea of redemption. <laughs> we were slaves 
and we're bought by the blood of Christ. That should never grow old to us. And it ought to motivate us. It did for Paul. I wonder sometimes um, if we're not just nominal in our faith, that our Christianity that we experience is, is really an anomaly. You know, you read the New Testament in the early church. Everywhere they went, you know they were proclaiming? A resurrected Christ because he changed everything. And maybe we'd be changed by the, the glorious Redeemer that we have. Our Redeemer lives, <clears throat> and maybe we live because of him as well, so that should change us. Ruth chapter 4, let's read verses 18 through 22, just the last few verses. I sort of want to just encapsulate that in the book and then take you to the New Testament just for a few thoughts and then we'll wrap up the book of Ruth and next week we'll start 1 Samuel. Verse number 18, you know from this morning, um, Boaz does the job of the kinsman redeemer. He marries Ruth. What a beautiful ceremony that must have been. They come together. Um, Ruth bears a child. Her firstborn child is a son, which again in itself is miraculous. For 10 years she was married in the land of Moab, didn't have a child. Now she comes together with Boaz and she has a son, and God blesses this union. Verse 18. Now these are the generations of Pharaoh. Pharaoh begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And uh, that might seem senseless to you. It's like, okay, they just ended on this lineage. But there's much to be said there. I, I want to just say, as we open this book, uh, the, the book begins with fullness that is empty. If you remember when we started the book, we start in a place called Bethlehem. And Bethlehem means house of bread. And we start off and we see that this house of bread, a place where God said he would bless and nourish his people, is empty. There is nothing there. They had sinned against God, and now he had judged them. He was punishing them. Uh, they had turned their back from him. And now this place of fullness was empty, so much so that Elimelech, aren't you glad we have easy names like Rick? Right? I mean, it's just it's simple. Where Elimelech takes his family now to a pagan place. And what happens is the place that he thought was going to be fullness is empty. Empty. Christian friend, listen to me. The world has nothing for us. Nothing. I love what what Peter says when the Lord in John chapter 6 is losing a bunch of disciples. And you should read that. John 6, Jesus says some really bizarre things there. And it's like, okay, Lord, we get the point. Can you stop with this? Because he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, right? And you think, okay, he's got that. And he keeps on going. And, and finally, people were saying, you know what? I can't deal with this. I'm going someplace else. And, and, and many disciples went away. And Jesus turns to them and he says, will you also go away? And Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. My friend, listen, the world has nothing for you. It is empty. It promises the world and it gives you a mouthful of sand. It is nothing. And if we had time tonight, you could give testimony to the fact that you were in the world. The world had nothing. We have all in Christ. So this, this, this fullness that Elimelech thought he had was emptiness. And so then we find the book of Ruth, these bookends. Chapter 1, in chapter 1, we get to the end of chapter 1, and the bookend is God gives bread. The Lord gives bread to his people. So it's an amazing thing that God is working now, God is moving, God is gracious. He gives bread to his people. And again, there, there's, there's a wonderful, fascinating things from the book of Ruth. God gives bread in the place of bread, Bethlehem. 
And, and we know that, that later on, Jesus Christ from Bethlehem, the living bread, will give bread to all mankind. So we, we had this bookend in the beginning of God gives uh, this bread, and then at the end, God gives a son, reminding us that every good gift is from God. And so we come to the, the end of this book, and it started out where we thought that Elimelech lost everything, Naomi lost everything, Ruth was hopeless, and here we have at the end of this book a son and a future. I was moved yesterday at, at Marjorie's funeral. They did something very unusual that I've never seen done before. They had all the grandkids and great-grandkids come to the platform. And it was, a, it was a testimony of the legacy and life of Marjorie. And I have to tell you something. There were, there were, there were people in that group, and, and granted, they're not all born again, but a number of them were saved individuals. I was talking with Diane before the service, and she was talking about talking with different Christians, and some of them you talk with, and you think, they're on a, they're, I don't know where they're coming from. They're on some strange page. They, they don't understand what I'm saying, and you wonder if they even know Christ. Isn't it amazing? You can go anywhere in the world, and when you start talking to someone, you know they're a believer instinctively. There's a bond there that their brothers and sisters in Christ were on the same page. And, and many of those folks yesterday I started talking to, and, and, and you could tell they were believers in Christ. I thought, what a testimony. What a legacy. And in this book we find it looked like it was the end for this family. And God gives a son, and God gives a future. Church of Jesus Christ, listen to me. You ought to start building a legacy. Wouldn't it be great? I thought yesterday, I thought, wouldn't it be great? I don't know how long God will have me on this planet. But to have a legacy of, of children and grandchildren who know Christ. Who know Christ. And that's what I want. I, I want to have not just this next generation of my kids. I want their kids to know Christ. And I want their kids to know Christ. That's the way it's supposed to work. But that doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't. We'll be preparing for that now. Parents, grandparents, invest spiritually in your children. Give them a, a, a heritage. Give them an identity. You know, when our kids were growing up, we, we use this phrase often. We would say things like, we're dresslers, and we don't do that. We don't jump out of planes that are perfectly good. Right? We, don't, we don't do those things. We, we have better sense than that. Right? No, it's like, this is, this is our family. This is our, our identity. This is how we live. This is how we interact. This is how we treat each other. You know, this is our identity as, as a people. And so, as believers, your kids and your grandkids, you know, we are Christians. We are believers in Christ. Years ago, one of the boys, and, and he was younger, but he was on a bus with some of the kids, and they were talking about religion. And they said, what religion are you? And he said, I'm Baptist. And that's not a bad answer. But afterwards, I had a talk with him. I said, listen, it's not that you're Baptist. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. Right? That's our identity. It's not I'm big Baptist with a B. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we see that this future um, for Elimelech's family, what a great thing that is. And we need to make sure that we're building for a future. The church of Jesus Christ dies in a generation if we fail to do our job. And so God gives a future here. And let me just share something with you. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1 now as we finish off Ruth. You might think this is a strange place to stop. But Ruth is only mentioned in one other place outside of Ruth. It's in the book of Matthew. It's interesting that we find her here. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. 
And Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Thamar. And Perez begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram. And Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Solomon, and Solomon begat Boaz of, Rach, uh, of Rahab, we would say Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, we find her name, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And we jump down now to verse number 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Isn't that great? Here was a woman who was outside of the covenant community. She was a heathen. She was from a perverse nation, the Moabites. And yet we find her in the genealogy of Christ. And what a great truth is that. You know, I, I read the book of Ruth, and as we close off, I, I thought, man, Ruth is such a great woman. What a great study it would be to study Ruth. A woman of integrity, a, a, a woman of morals, a woman of character, and then I thought, what a great man Boaz is. Boaz is a great man, godly man, a man of character, a man of substance, a man of integrity, a man who loves the Lord, a man who's going to do right. And then after reading the book of Ruth, I thought, what a great God God is. And that's the story. And I just bring up this, this portion in Matthew 1 to make two points. The first is this. I want you to see that God is gracious. Not only in the life of, of Ruth, that, that we find her in this genealogy. She, she is a great, 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 grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ, which blows my mind that here, someone outside the covenant community, God brings in, and she's in the line of Christ. That, God is gracious. But I want you to notice this list here, because it proves that God is gracious. Abraham, and, and this is the line of Christ. Abraham, certainly a man of faith. But you know Abraham was a liar. Twice he lies to save his skin and says that Sarah is his sister and not his wife. Sarah must have been a good-looking chick at you know, 80 years old saying, that's my sister, right? But he lies. The man of faith lies. We go through the list. Isaac, certainly Isaac as a young man, willing to sacrifice himself. But there's not much about Isaac. There's no great... Deeds by Isaac. As a matter of fact, at the end of Isaac's life, when he has one request, when he can tell, say one thing to his sons, he says this, get me some venison. I'm worried about my stomach. We go on. Jacob. Jacob. Oh, Jacob. He was a liar, a deceiver. I mean, he, 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 was, he was stealing from everybody. Jacob. We move on. There's Judah of Tamar. If you remember the story of Tamar, that was his daughter-in-law, and he had promised that after his two sons had died that the third one would go to her. And what does she do? She pretends to be a prostitute and sleeps with her father-in-law. Not a nice lady. I don't think she'd be highly respected in our churches today. I don't think she'd be in charge of the women's committee on anything. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Ah, okay, Tamar. We were on the list. We get to Boaz, and of course, it says Boaz married um, Rahab. When I say Rahab, what do you say? Harlot? Prostitute? She's in the list. We go from Rahab to David. David's the man after God's own heart, right? And what does he do? Commits adultery and murders someone. We have Solomon then. We got it all messed up. Did you imagine how many shoes Solomon had in his house? 
unbelievable, multiplied wives. And he breaks God's law. And we go through the list over and again. And what we see is, the fact is, that God is gracious. Here is a list of people, and they're bad. They're bad. And God includes them in his divine plan. He takes all types. He has room for all. It's an amazing thing. I was thinking about my family and my, my background. And I, and I can relate to these people. I, I had two two family members who were murdered, three who committed suicide, drug dealers, all the rest. They're they're insane. I understand that. And here God includes these people in this list of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. Listen to me. Don't discard or disqualify anyone. God is gracious. And he's been gracious to us, which proves he can be gracious to anyone. We've got to be careful. Sometimes we act as like, man, God got a Great deal when he got me. He didn't get a deal when he got you. He didn't get a deal when he got me. God is gracious and he includes all types. And not only that, our God is great. Our God is great. He works in spite of their sinfulness. God is amazing. He is so big that he will take the sinful lives of these people and he will be glorified. And that gives me great hope this evening. That God can take our life and our mess and our trouble and our struggles and he is so big that he can use it for his honor and his glory. Ruth is a great book. Great woman. Boaz was a great man. And and those are great character studies. But I gotta tell you something. The hero of the book of Ruth is God. And our God is great. And our God is gracious. And when we leave this place tonight and this week thinking about a redemption and understanding our God is great, and gracious, and longs to use each and every one of us. Let him use you this week. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't say you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not charismatic enough, you're not, it doesn't matter. God doesn't need anything from you. Nothing. A matter of fact, everything that you do possess, he gave you anyways. All he requires is us to be faithful. And so this week, let's leave this place and be faithful to him.